Hello, and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila, and I have with me Dr. Michael Pratz. Hey, Mike. Hey. So what we're going to talk about now is this very interesting study. It is entitled, The Usefulness of Ultrasound for the Diagnosis of Pyogenic Flexor Tenosynovitis, a Prospective Single Center Study of 57 Cases. And this study, of course was published in the Hand Surgery and Rehabilitation Journal uh, recently in 2018. Of course. Um, this is, I mean, I have this at my bedside table. Um, it's the only it journal night. for this article. It's the only journal for this article. So, Mike, what uh, what is this? Well, they're referring to pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis here to differentiate it from a more inflammatory process. They're talking about infection in the tendon sheath. Flexor tenosynovitis is a pretty bad infection of the finger, and usually people end up going to the operating room to get this cleaned out. This is something you don't want to miss. Usually we use Knavel signs for a clinical diagnosis. Now, Jacob, tell me you remember Knavel signs. All right. I'm going to try without any prompting. I know one of them is a sausage digit. Uh, I assume there's like a redness component, maybe a cannot flex without pain component. And then uh, just because a hand surgeon did it, and that's what they always want, like a, maybe a CRP and a SED rate. I think those are some great guesses. <laughs> the other ones that you missed are tenderness over the flexor tendon, held in flexion and pain with passive extension of the digit. Got it. The point is it doesn't matter because they suck. Well, okay, maybe they're not terrible, but we know that they're not as sensitive or specific as we'd like. Right. So that's where ultrasound comes in. Maybe ultrasound would be able to identify that there's a little fluid around the tendon sheath and help us in making this diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I've, I've actually thought that a couple of times, you know, like, I don't know if this is just like cellulitis or if this is something that I can, I need to, you know, consult my hand surgeon or this is something that, you know, I can just discharge. And i I was kind of excited when I saw the title and read the abstract of this study, um, just because, I don't know, there's not really a whole lot out there on this particular topic, right, Mike? Right. It makes sense that the ultrasound would be able to help you here, but nobody's really done any good studies, and maybe that's because it's a fairly rare diagnosis, but I've only seen case reports of this so far. So let me tell you how they did this study, and then we'll, we'll talk about what they found. So just so you know, this was a study that was done out of France at an emergency hand care center. So unless you work at an emergency hand care center, you got to keep that in mind. It may not represent your population. They took any patient that came in with finger pain and signs of inflammation, which were like pain or redness or heat that were suggestive of possibly having this pyogenic flexor tennis of synovitis, which I'll probably refer to as PFT, so I don't keep stumbling over the words. Okay, I'm going to refer to it as PFT. They excluded people that already had that diagnosis confirmed. And so they were prospectively enrolling these patients. All the patients came in, they got examined by a resident or an attending, they drew their CRP level, of course, checked an x-ray, and then they got an ultrasound that same day. Not clear exactly when, but sometime that same day. If it was positive, they trusted it and took the patient right to the operating room where they took cultures and either confirmed or 
didn't confirm the diagnosis. If the ultrasound was negative, meaning they did not see any fluid pocket around the tendon, they treated it as cellulitis with antibiotics, and then they had them follow up every two days until the infection improved. And so the outcomes were that they wanted to look with ultrasound to see how accurate ultrasound could identify this diagnosis, and then they were kind of just looking to see what findings they could use to confirm it or not. The best gold standard, honestly, would have been to MRI everybody, right? But that's not a gold standard I think is feasible. Um, Their gold standard was basically operation or did they eventually get it or were they just fine down the road? Those were the kind of two gold standards, which I I think those are reasonable, although I would love to just get everybody MRI'd uh, so we can know for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. It was interesting that they were willing to take people to the operating room instead of doing, you know, more advanced imaging. Keep in mind that these were residents with at least two years of musculoskeletal ultrasound training, a senior radiologist or the attending surgeon who did the ultrasounds. So these people probably had some experience looking at fingers with ultrasound. When we're talking about ultrasounding fingers, Jacob, have you ever tried to balance your linear probe on a fingertip? Uh, yeah, it's difficult. Um, and I, I looking at the images, I don't know if they needed to do this, but you can, um, if it's like, you know, seeing a patient in the hallway or whatever, you don't have a lot of space. You can just use like a, a bunch of gel, like a couple, like centimeter, maybe a couple inch thick of gel, or you can do the water bath. Um, the water bath is nice because you can actually have the patient move their finger and kind of see how, um, the thing that you suspect is pus kind of moves around as the finger moves. Um, I like the water bath, but sometimes it's just a glob of gel works great. Yeah, water bath is cool. You could also do your, sounds like what you're doing could be called the excessive toothpaste method. Yes, yes, the way too much toothpaste method. And what they were looking for in these scans were hypochoic effusions around the tendon without any color Doppler signal. So it wasn't just an enlarged vessel or something. And then they also looked for thickening of the synovial sheath that was hypoechoic and hyperemic on colored Doppler. And they used the contralateral fingers to compare, or even an ipsilateral finger that was unaffected or asymptomatic. So those are the findings that you're looking for. And to be honest, that's a little bit beyond what I usually do when I'm looking at the finger. So this may be kind of a more advanced skill that you need some experience to be able to make the diagnosis. So let me tell you about the results, finally. They were able to enroll... 57 patients. That's crazy. That's over the course of like three or four years too. Yeah, that was between 2012 to 2015. So like we said, kind of a rare diagnosis. And this is a hand clinic. Their primary outcomes were the, they were trying to see how accurate they were at ultrasound and they ended up getting a sensitivity 94.4% and a specificity 74.4%. So this is one of those rare cases where ultrasound is more sensitive than specific. So it's better at trying to rule it out than rule it in in this case. Now, interesting, just to tell you about the patients. So they ended up finding 27 patients with findings on ultrasound, and they took all those to the operating room. Only about 17 of those were confirmed on the operating room findings. And then there was another patient that was initially called negative on ultrasound that because they weren't improving clinically, they ended up taking back to the OR2. Well, Jacob, the other thing they were trying to find out is CRP. They drew a serum C-reactive protein on every patient. How good was that? 
it must be really good because any time that there is any kind of infection around a joint, I'm always asked to get the CRP and the ESR. So it's got to be 100% rule in and rule out. Must be. Yeah, I, right? I would have thought that too because you're right. I tend to order it so much and it is almost always changing my management. But in this case, <laughs> there was no correlation between the CRP and the diagnosis of PUFT. Yeah. So... That's no good. correlation. No correlation at all. So not useful to rule in, not useful to rule out. Yeah, that's what it looks like, sadly. Sadly. Oh, well, we'll probably still keep getting them. Yeah. So what are the limitations you see to this paper? I mean, are you ready to dive in and start scanning every finger that rolls by your door? I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to scan every finger just because I want to learn how to do this. But there's a lot of you know limitations. The, the first one is that this is not necessarily the patient sample that we are going to be working with. I mean, from what I read about the paper, it was they were seen in a, a you know an ER and urgent care and then transferred uh, or sent the same day to another clinic and a hand clinic um, to be seen. So this is a specific patient population. It's not going to be everybody that we see with this 10-inch sheath. Um, you know, these were trained individuals. There's three of them that did it. They were all pretty trained. And um, I don't know, like I'm, I'm doing this and I have done it, but I feel like the ultrasound, it still has to kind of prove itself to me, um, as being a definitive rule in or rule out for this thing. I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting, definitely useful. And I'm so glad that somebody asked this question and was able to publish something after, you know, it's kind of a lot of work to, you know, be working on a study for three years and I'm glad it's out there, but I'm not sure if I'm, this is ready to, for me to, you know, use it to rule in or rule out just yet. I kind of wish they had broken down of the two ultrasound findings, how accurate each one of those were, because if you could just find the fluid collection and you know that's the most sensitive piece, then you could forget about all this synovial hyperemia, but they don't know. They just, it's the, we only can evaluate it together as a conglomerate exam. And I was also thinking, you know, if they did in this study exclude everyone with an obvious flexor tenosynovitis so if they had included those people like we might scan in the in the ed if there's something that's we have a pretty high pretest probability you may just check an ultrasound maybe it would have been more accurate if you included some of the more slam dunk cases yeah that's a good point all right let me give you a little summary of this article this was a prospective cohort study out of france looking at patients with possible pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis. They ended up enrolling 57 patients. They found that ultrasound has a sensitivity of about 95% and a specificity that's 75%. And their conclusions were that this might be useful for ruling out the diagnosis. My take on points is that, yeah, ultrasound is pretty sensitive for this diagnosis. I don't know if we can really relate it to our population in the acute care setting at this point, but it certainly does provoke some thoughts of how we might be able to use this later on. I think basically we're saying we need to study it a little bit more, see how good other point of care providers can be at doing this type of exam, and then go from there. Yeah, agree. All right, well, I want to thank the authors for doing this study and the hard work they put into it. Thanks for tuning in to us again. Remember, you can check out our website at ultrasoundgel.org where you can sign up for our mailing list. Also, check us out on Facebook or Google+. And we'll talk to you later.
The old bait and switch. So I think they they made a boo boo.